Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. Well, tonight we're going to be in Understanding the Gifts and the Call of God, Part (laughs) 5. Part 5, praise God. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. It says in the New King James, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one as he wills. Again, this is the nine gifts of the Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been breaking those gifts down. There's three different categories that these nine gifts are put into. You have the revelation or inspiration gifts. You have the vocal gifts. And you have the power gifts. Underneath the revelation or inspiration gifts, you have words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits. This morning we talked about the power gifts. Praise God. I really enjoyed just getting into the word and, and, and man, it was edifying to me just reading the scripture on it. The gift of healing, the gift of faith and the working of miracles. Now tonight we're going to begin, I say begin because tongues, I want to talk about tongues pretty extensively. Uh, we're going to begin to talk about the vocal gifts. Amen. All right. The vocal gifts, they consist of prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. I don't know if you guys can get that please, on the board. Prophecy, tongues, and an interpretation of tongues. So number one, if you're taking notes, write this down tonight. Number one, prophecy. Can you say prophecy? Prophecy. This is the definition of prophecy. It is revelation coming from divine inspiration. Revelation coming from divine inspiration inspiration. What does that mean? It means the Holy Ghost gives you revelation. Something that you weren't studying necessarily or thinking about. It, it, it's revelation that comes by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. It's just like an eye-opening, a word. He speaks to you. He shows you something. It could be a dream. could be a picture. could be a word. It could just be a light bulb moment that you have. It's revelation that comes by inspiration. And what does that produce? It, mean, it, it produces you Not only to get this revelation, but declaring the purposes of God, whether by reproving and admonishing the wicked, comforting the afflicted, or revealing things hidden, or foretelling future events. If you guys will, for my notes sake, if if from now on, would you put those on the board for them so I don't just have to read it. They can actually see it when you get my notes. I love you guys. So it's, again, declaring the purposes of God. That's a very simple definition of prophecy, declaring the purposes of God. There's many forms that that takes. 
Because sometimes, how many of you know, God says different things. <laughs> so really what a prophet is, and we'll look at this eventually as well, a prophet is one who speaks for God. So prophecy in its essence is literally speaking on behalf of God. And again, that can actually look like reproving and admonishing the wicked. I know these are kind of some, some words that we don't use in our normal day vocabulary. So to reprove and admonish, it means to express disapproval and to warn. So to reprove and admonish the wicked means to express disapproval and to warn. To warn. What did that look like? Well, that looked like Jonah preaching to Nineveh. That looked like John the Baptist as a prophet saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He was warning the generation at hand. He was warning and reproving his generation. He was rebuking the religious leaders. That was actually the word of the Lord through the prophet John. Amen. So comforting the afflicted or revealing hidden things or finally foretelling the future. So again, you see there's many different facets to prophecy. Everybody thinks prophecy, they think that it's, it's just foretelling the future, that you can see the future and you prophesy things that will happen in the future. That's only one facet of prophecy. Prophecy means to speak for God. Amen. You know, sometimes the Lord, you, you know, you think about this. Uh, in the book of Revelation, God gave the apostle John seven letters to seven different churches. Those letters weren't future words to them. They were present words to them. Repent. Turn back to your first love. If you don't, I will remove your lampstand from among its places. That wasn't telling the future, but it was a prophetic word of the Lord. Amen. It was speaking on behalf of God. In fact, this is uh, interesting as well. Many prophets in the Old Testament and New were preachers of righteousness. In fact, that's another name in the Bible for a prophet. They're called preachers of righteousness. So a lot of times their prophetic message looked like righteous preaching, preaching righteousness to people. So a true prophet will be a preacher of righteousness. Uh, why am I saying that? Because if all you ever hear from a person is the bull spirit this, the eagle spirit that, the ox spirit this and that, and there's, and there's no preaching of righteousness, I'm telling you, you better run. You better run. A prophet is, number one, a spokesperson for the Lord, but a preacher of righteousness. Amen. This is Dake's definition of, Finnis Dake, his definition of prophecy. It means to, it means supernatural utterance in the native tongue. Again, that's a significant part of this definition because we're going to talk about tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. So it's supernatural utterance in the native tongues. That means that God, through inspiration, gives you words that you are to speak. A miracle of divine utterance, not conceived by human thought or reasoning. Write that down in your notes. Not conceived by human thought or reasoning. Not conceived by human thought or reasoning. So basically what that means is it comes by inspiration. It's not something that you, theor that you, make, that you theorize and then you make predictions about. For, for example, I'll give you an example here. If you were to say, 
You know, say, maybe you didn't say it, but you've been sitting back watching the stock market. And you've been watching this one stock and you've been watching what it's doing. It would be improper for you to watch that stock for six months and see what it's done and make a projection and then stand up and say, I prophesy that this stock will increase by $10 next month. That's actually not a prophecy. That was, that was a, a, a prediction made by an observation. So the essence of prophecy is it's not conceived by human thought or reasoning. That's why most of the time that prophecy can seem random. It's like we're kind of flowing over here and all of a sudden a prophetic word comes and it seems like, what did that have to really do with what we were talking about? Well, that's really what true prophecy is because it, you didn't sit back and premeditate on it and think about it and, it, it, it and conceive it in your own human thought or thinking. It was by inspiration from the Lord. Prophecy is when you are given words by God that didn't come from your own mind or intellect. I know I've been out in prayer sometimes. And then in my own prayer time, I'll just start prophesying things over the United States of America, things over the president, things over the leaders, things over what, what God's will is for revival in this country. And, and there's been times that I'm like, I wasn't even thinking about that. You know, sometimes you hear the, the craziest things. I was out in a prayer time one time, and the Lord began to speak to me. And he said, there was a woman that I knew named Angelina. And he said, and from her seed shall come a child named Revival, and from her womb will come a child named Awakening. I mean, whenever the Lord spoke that, I was out just praying in, in the spirit. And we're going to talk about some of this. I was out. Did you know this? I know I'm kind of jumping around, but you can pray in the spirit and interpret your own tongues. In fact, some of the greatest revelations that you'll ever receive from the Lord will come from you praying in the spirit and then interpreting your own tongue. You go out and begin to just, and then you begin to interpret. And then you'll start just speaking things out that you're like, that didn't come from me. That didn't come from my own mind. That didn't come. And, and that is actually you flowing in interpretation and in prophecy. Praise the Lord. And so I'm going to give you some facts about prophecy. So this will help you understand the gift of prophecy. Number one, prophecy strengthens, encourages, and comforts. Prophecy strengthens encourages and comforts this is first corinthians 14 3 it says but the one who prophesies strengthens others encourages them and comforts them that's important because prophecy again it strengthens it encourages it comforts that means that if it doesn't strengthen it doesn't encourage and it doesn't comfort it's not prophecy amen Another fact about prophecy, prophecy should be the highest goal when believers are gathered together, according to the scripture. We see this in 1 Corinthians 14, 5. It says, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. Again, this is in a corporate setting. I know people will read this and say, well, you know, prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. But Paul said when you're in private, it's better to speak in tongues. 
And we'll kind of cover all of that in a moment. But in a church setting, in a corporate setting, he says, prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you're saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. 1 Corinthians 14, 19. In a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. And again, if you read these verses, Paul's not knocking down speaking in tongues, but you have to understand he was speaking to a church that was taking the spiritual gifts and just getting way out of hand. I mean, wouldn't it be a little bit out of hand for me to get up here and take this microphone and just speak in tongues for an hour and then finish and then put the mic down and say, all right, guys, God bless you. Have a great day. Well, I mean, you know, if it was like prayer, I don't, I don't know, some of you guys would be sitting there joining right in, getting in the river of the Holy Ghost. But, you know, to people that you're helping along, that wouldn't bring any edification. They wouldn't understand anything that you're saying. And so that's what Paul's talking about. In a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. 1 Corinthians 14, 23 through 25. This is why prophecy should be the highest goal when believers are gathered together. Paul said, even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they'll think you're crazy. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, what will, it ha- what will it produce? They will be convicted of their sin and judged by what you say. And as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. You guys, so you see that this is the institution of New Testament worship. This is how a New Testament church should look. That's why I don't understand why churches think that we have the luxury to pick and choose. You know, some Christians are like, I don't really like all that prophetic stuff. We're bringing a prophet to this church. Those Christians like, I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Who do you think that you are to even decide that? Amen. I don't really like that tongue stuff. Really? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, let's summarize. When we come together, he said one will sing. Let's go ahead and just read it here. 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 26. Well then, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing. Another will teach. Why do we sing? Because the Bible tells us to when we meet together. (laughs) I could give you some deep, ethereal, spiritual answer very simply. He said, when you come together, one will sing. So what do we do when we come together? We sing. Amen. Amen. Not only do we sing, he says, one will sing, another will teach. Well, why do we get up? Why, why don't I just let this, 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 this flow that was happening just happen the whole night? And then we just conclude the service. Because the Bible says when we come together, one must teach. So what am I doing? I'm teaching the word right now. Amen. And it says another will give a special revelation God has given. That's prophecy. Another will speak in tongues and then another will interpret what is said. You should have all of these things in a New Testament gathering of believers. Singing, teaching, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Anybody that says, well, we don't really like that because that scares people and they're not really into that and it makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable. Why are you choosing people's comfort over the instructions of the Bible? Amen. 
And so prophecy should be the highest goal when believers are gathered together. Uh, this is, write this down, facts about prophecy. It must be allowed to be given, then it must be judged. Prophecy must be allowed in a church gathering. If somebody receives a prophetic word from the Lord, no person, I don't care how great they are and how anointed they think that they are, no person has the right to stifle or stop a prophetic word from being given. I know that we really revert back to this whole style of worship where, again, you just have one person, you know, and I'm not saying I necessarily promote the minister, but Francis Chan, he was really onto something. He left his mega church in California because he realized, he said, I'm the only one operating in my gift. He said, I have a room full of people that come and all they are is just spectators. They sit and they spectate and they listen and they don't love each other. They don't act like Holy Ghost filled Christians and then they leave. And I'm the only one that's operating in my gift given to me by the Holy Ghost. And he said, the Lord convicted his heart and he looked around one day at a church of thousands of people. And he said, what a waste. What a waste in this room. There's so much gift. There's so many words. There's so many things that the Lord has given to people here for the edification of the body of Christ. But we're, we're too afraid that somebody's going to say something out of line. What do we do? We just shut it down and we reject it altogether. You cannot do that according to the Bible. You must allow a word to be given. And if somebody gives a wrong word, then it must be judged. That's why you have a responsibility to know the Bible. How? Why, why do you need to know the Bible? So if somebody gives a wrong word, you can take the meat and spit out the bones. And this is exactly what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. Do not stifle the Holy Ghost. I know that if you've been a member of this church for a while, you've heard me teach on this. But to stifle the Holy Ghost literally means to, uh, to, to extin or extinguish a fire. To take a fire extinguisher, to take a wet blanket and throw it over a flame and cause the fire to go out. That's what that word in the Greek, stifle, means. To extinguish a fire. Do not stifle. How do you extinguish the anointing? How do you put out the anointing in the fire when God begins to move? You scoff at prophecy. What does the word scoff mean? In the Greek, it means to hold in low esteem or low regard. So when we hold prophecy in low esteem and low regard, it puts a wet blanket over the fire of the Holy Ghost and the assembly of the believers. What do we do when we say that we don't need prophecy, we reject it, it's not allowed in this church? Literally, you're holding it in such low esteem and low regard. The fire of the Holy Ghost will never, ever, 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 ever in a million years burn through a church that disregards the prophetic. Come on, somebody. Amen. How many Christian denominations, they disregard the prophetic. And then even full gospel assemblies. Now today, they throw it completely out because they have this program and this system. You got to be in by 9 o'clock and out by 11 because we have another crowd coming through. So they just totally scrap all of this. And the anointing is completely snuffed out. So, yeah, we may have a whole bunch of numbers of people, but uh, how many of those people? I mean, really, how many of those people are really serving God? Anyways, I could preach all about that, but 
Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecies. But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. So it must be allowed to be given. And then we have the responsibility to test that word and hold on to what's good in that word. And if there's anything that wasn't of the spirit of God, maybe it was, you know, a person trying to exercise that gift and they added a little tidbit of themselves, of the flesh or, you know, their own human intellect that you just reject it and you hold on to what is good. Does it mean that person's an evil, horrible, with bad intentions person? For, turn to 1 John 4, 1 through 6. 1 John 4, 1 through 6, it says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. There's a really good word for you tonight. Just because someone claims that it's a prophetic word doesn't mean it's actually a prophetic word. But you must hear it out, allow it to be given, and then test what is said. You must test them to see if the Spirit that they have comes from God. Wow. For there are many false prophets in the world. Not everybody that claims to speak by the Spirit is actually speaking by the Spirit, and not everybody that claims to be a prophet is actually a prophet. You have the responsibility to test. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and they do not follow the voice of the robber. They don't follow the voice of the thief. You know, as the church grows, I've seen it time in and time out. The, the devil will try to sow tares amongst the wheat in the body of Christ. He'll try to sow wolves amongst the sheep. And I can tell you, a shepherd's job is to fend off the wolves and protect the sheep. That's why a shepherd carries a bat, a rod, and a staff. The staff is for the sheep. The bat's for the wolves. That's a shepherd's job is to protect sheep from wolves. But on the other flip side of that as well, the sheep have a responsibility to know the voice of their shepherd. Amen. It says... If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person's not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint. So what does a false prophet do? They speak from the world's viewpoint, not from God's viewpoint. And the world listens to them. But we who belong to God and those who know God listen to us. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. Very interesting. The apostle John, writing this, said, imagine his confidence that he had in the Holy Ghost and in the Word of God, that he had the confidence to say, anybody that rejects what I say does not have the spirit of God. That's bold. Amen. There's like 10 sermons that we could preach out of that just text. That's so good. 
But it must be allowed to be given, and then it must be judged. I want you to say the word test. Test everything that is said. How do you test a prophecy? How do you test a prophet? How do you test these things? Number one, the first question that you must ask when a word is given is this. Does it align with the Bible? Number one, does it align with the Bible? If it doesn't align with the Bible, you can automatically throw it out. (laughs) All of it. Well, you know, that wasn't really completely scripturally correct, but I really like sister so-and-so. I think she has a sweet spirit. Man, she may be the sweetest person ever, but I'll throw that word out if it doesn't align with the Bible. Does it align with the Bible? Throw it out. Galatians 1.8. Look what Paul said, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one that we preach to you. You know, Paul was saying that at the end of the day, God's word is the ultimate authority. Paul said, I don't care what kind of spiritual experience that you have. I don't care if an angel comes down from heaven and materializes right in front of you, Joseph Smith. If it doesn't align with the Bible, (laughs) throw it out and don't accept it. 2 Corinthians 11.4, Paul, he's rebuking the Corinthian church. He says, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. So what can we flip that around? You're not supposed to just happily put up with anything that someone says. Amen. Amen. He says, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one that we preached, or a different kind of spirit than the one that you received. Guys, he didn't say if they preach a different God. He said a different Jesus. What does that mean? They'll call him Jesus, but he's not the Jesus of this Bible. It's actually a false God. It's a God that allows you to do whatever the heck that you want to do. And actually, the God is you. The God is your own flesh, but you've given him the name of Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of this word. It's not the Jesus that's alive and resurrected. It's just a false idea that you've created that you've given that name, but it's not him. They've preached a different Jesus to you. A different kind of spirit. He says you happily put up with a different kind of spirit than the one that you received or a different kind of gospel than the one that you believed. 2 Thessalonians 2.2 Don't be easily shaken or alarmed by those who say the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. So again, Paul was saying God's word is the ultimate authority. Doesn't matter what prophetic word you think that you had, what dream, what vision. If an angel from heaven seems to materialize in front of you, the word of God is the word of God. And it stands. And it is the authority. Amen. Okay, so how do we test the the spirit? How do we test the word? How do we test the prophet? Number one, is what being said, does it line up with the Bible? Number two, does it strengthen, encourage, or comfort? If it doesn't strengthen, encourage, or comfort, then it's not a prophetic word because prophecy strengthens, encourages, and comforts. Well, you say, so you say, well, Brother John, what about sometimes somebody give a really strong, harsh, prophetic word? Does that mean that it's false because it wasn't all gumballs and cotton candy? No. Sometimes harsh words can strengthen you if you'll receive them. Again, think about the, the letters in Revelation 2 through 3. 
where, where the Lord was speaking to John, rebuking these churches, telling them to repent before their lampstand was removed. Well, we know that that was prophecy. That's in the Bible. <laughs> That's canonized in the scripture. So how is that fall into prophecy? Because it ultimately, if they receive the word, it strengthened them. Praise the Lord. Another fact about prophecy. So does it align with the Bible? Does it strengthen, encourage, or comfort? You know, that's why you got to watch out for just vague words. Man, I'm going to tell you, I saw in the spirit the goat and the ox, and it was flying in the sky, and then it dug its hoops into the dirt, and then, amen, hallelujah. What does that have to do with anything? How does that strengthen, comfort, or encourage anybody? Amen. And then the third way, how do you test the spirit? You have to ask yourself, you test the spirit by discernment. Say discernment. One of the gifts of the spirit is the discerning of spirits. Again, the discerning of spirits, it, discerning means this, to make distinction, judgment, to perceive, to recognize. Remember this part, this teaching? What is the discerning of spirits? It's being able to, to make distinction, to judge, to perceive, to recognize. I want you to say spirit. That word spirit in the Greek is the word pneuma. It means, obviously it means exactly how it sounds, spirit. It means the third part of a person. A man is not just flesh, he's flesh, he's soul, his mind, will, and emotions, and he's spirit. God is three parts, the Father, the Son. The Son is the Word that became flesh, the flesh part of God, and then the Holy Ghost is the Spirit being of God. God is three parts. We are three parts. The word Spirit obviously means that third person, but it also means, that Greek word, it can mean personality or character. It can mean a Spirit's work, power, and influence. So to make distinction, judgment, perceive, to be able to recognize a spirit's power and influence over a person by which a human being feels, thinks, and decides. So again, to discern a spirit is being able to perceive how a person is feeling, thinking, or what they're deciding. The disposition or influence that fills and governs the soul of a person, being able to make distinction, judge, perceive, or recognize what's governing a person. Amen. So how do you test the spirit or how do you test the word? Well, there's a gift for that also, the discerning of spirits. That somebody could even say all the right things, but you can discern by the spirit that, the, that they're speaking from a bad spirit. Give you an example of this. Paul in Acts 16, 16 through 18. One day as they were going through the town, I'm sorry, as they were going down to the place to prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Well, hallelujah, that's true. Paul was a servant of the most high God who had come to tell the people how to be saved. Was that false information? Was that inaccurate? No, it was, actual, it was absolutely accurate. But yet, she was speaking things that seemed to be true, but she was speaking it from, a, from the, a false spirit. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you to come out in the name of Jesus Christ. 
and instantly it left her. Paul was able to look past even the words that were being spoken and discern the spirit behind the words. So that's how you test a prophetic word or you test a prophet. Amen. Number two, tonight, I want you to write this down in your notes, tongues. The second gift of the vocal gifts, tongues. I'm going to define tongues. Tongues is, this is the definition, a language or a dialect used by a particular people distinct from that of other nations. A language or dialect used by a particular people distinct from other nations. Basically, that's a very fancy way to say the word language. (laughs) When the Bible speaks of tongues, it's just talking about a language. That definition means tongues. Uh, if If you're in the United States of America... Well, I mean, we're, we're kind of comprised of different nations, but say the predominant language is English. If you were to go to China, they would speak Chinese. That's what the word tongues means. It means a specific language. Say language. Okay, so now let's understand the gift of tongues because this is not just natural language. This is supernatural. This is a manifestation of the Spirit. So it's a manifestation of the Spirit with a supernatural language. Dake's definition of tongues is... Diverse kinds of tongues that is supernatural utterance that is not known to the speaker. So, again, what is the gift of tongues? It's supernatural utterance that is not known to the person that's speaking it. The Holy Ghost gives you the ability to speak a language that is not known to the person that's speaking it. So, what is this language? I'm going to give you now some facts about tongues. Number one, tongues is not an earthly language. Turn to Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. I'm actually going to spend some time and debunk something that uh, I think that a lot of people have kind of held this belief. And I actually at one point thought, you know, it made sense, but a lot of people believe that the gift of tongues is simply the ability to speak a earthly language that's not your foreign language. So, so for example, there's denominations in Christianity that look at what we do and they think that's false, that's fake, because that's not what the gift of tongues was in the Bible. The gift of tongues in the Bible was if like you were an American, the Holy Ghost came on you and gave you the ability to speak Chinese when you never knew Chinese. So what you're doing right now is false. That was never how it was used in the Bible. Well, that's not correct. In the Bible, I'm going to show you, even in Acts chapter 2, one of the main passages they'll point to, it is not a language of this earth. Amen. So Acts 2, 1 through 13, it says this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages or speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in 
Jerusalem. So, again, let me just help you understand this. There was 120 believers in the upper room when the, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came upon them. So, they begin to speak in these other tongues as the Spirit's giving them the ability. And there's all these Jews that had gathered in Jerusalem that hear this taking place. And so it says in verse 6, When they heard a loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, the Parthians, the Medes, the uh, Elamites, the people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Pygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, in the areas of Libya around Crean, I guess that's how you say that, Crean. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed and said, what can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that is all. So, I want to... Go back up to verse chapter 6, and I want to read it to you in the New King James Version. Because, again, if you just read that, you could, you could get this idea that there's these 120, and now all of a sudden different ones are speaking different languages that are native to the people that happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. But that's not exactly what was happening. Look at verse 6 in the New King James. It says, When the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone, who's everyone? Everyone was the Jews that were in Jerusalem, the Jews of the different places where they had come from. Everyone heard them. Who's them? The 120 that had just been baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in his own language. So basically what that means is each person heard them speaking in his own language. So a person from Mesopotamia, he didn't just hear somebody speaking in Mesopotamian. He heard all of them, all 120, speaking in his native language. And then the person, say, from Rome that, that spoke a different language, he didn't just hear one person speaking his language. He heard all 120 of them speaking in his language. So there was different people there that were witnessing the same event, but were hearing different things. I'll give you further evidence of this. How can we conclude that? Because of Acts 2, 12 through 13. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. These were the ones that were hearing this group of people speaking in their own native language. But then some of them that were witnessing this same event said, they're just drunk. That's all. So let me ask you this question. If these people were just speaking in a common language, right? like speaking in Chinese, speaking another language of the earth, then why would these people say that they're just drunk? That doesn't make any sense. Does it? Has anybody ever got drunk before? Uh, if you have, 
We'll pray for you. You can repent. But has anybody ever got drunk before and then automatically gained the ability to start speaking in a foreign language? Has that ever happened to somebody? You're like, man, I took a few too many shots of Jack Daniels, and I just started speaking fluent Chinese. I have no idea. I never studied Chinese, and I just drank a little bit, and I just received the ability to speak in Chinese. Has that ever happened to anybody before? No, absolutely not. That's never happened to anybody. You know, since when does getting drunk give you the ability to speak a language that you don't know? It doesn't. So the only explanation is, is that that God performed a miracle where he gave different people the ability to hear their own language being spoken. And there were some of them there that didn't hear their own language being spoken. And what did it sound like to them? It sounded like the tongues that we know of today that to the, a person that it sounds like gibberish. What the heck are you saying? That's not a language. That's just made up. You just made that up in your head. That's why they were accusing them of being drunk. Amen. Because even if you don't know, uh, you know, again, if you don't know how to speak a language, I could identify if somebody was speaking Spanish. I don't know how to speak Spanish, but I could tell like, even though I don't know how to speak Spanish, that person is obviously speaking Spanish, or that person's obviously speaking French. It wouldn't make sense for them to accuse them of just being these babbling drunkards if they were just simply speaking native languages of the earth. Amen. They were speaking gibberish. They were speaking in other tongues. This view is consistent with Scripture. 1 Corinthians 14.2. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. Another common view is that some, some people hold the belief that, well, there must be different manifestations of the gift of tongues. I actually held that view for, for a while as well. But it's not congruent through the scripture. Because if that's the case, when you read 1 Corinthians 14, how can you make distinction? Well, right here, he's talking about your prayer language. But right here, he's talking about a different manifestation of tongues. No, it's all the same manifestation of tongues. The actual miracle is God gave them the ability to hear their own dialect being spoken. Amen. And so, here's another thought. If speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2 was just simply speaking in a foreign earthly language, then would the gift of interpretation just be being able to speak and understand that foreign language that's being spoken? Like if I, if I was, was an American and I don't know how to speak Spanish, if speaking in tongues was just the supernatural ability to speak in Spanish, would that mean that a Spanish person that speaks Spanish would be operating in the gift of interpretation when I'm speaking in Spanish? Absolutely not. It's a supernatural gift of the Holy Ghost. So that means that it's not an earthly language. Amen. Does that make sense to everybody? So write this down. So that's fact number one about speaking in tongues. It's not an earthly language. Number two, speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In Acts 2, 2 through 4, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. 
everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them this ability. At the day of Pentecost, they were baptized in the Holy Ghost, and what happened? They spoke in tongues. First time Peter preaches to the Gentiles, Acts 10, 44 through 46. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift, say the gift, of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. I want you to say the gift. This is just a side note. Jesus said this in Acts 1, 4. Once he was eating with them, his disciples, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift. There's the gift, not a gift, the gift that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized you with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 1, 4 through 5. So the gift was not just being born again and being saved. The gift was being baptized in the Holy Ghost. So Peter saw that they had received the gift. Say the gift. What was the gift? Being baptized by the Holy Ghost. Peter was amazed that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. How did he know? For he heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Well, look what Paul. Now you had Jesus. Now you had, I'm sorry, you had the apostles in the upper room. Now you have Peter. Now you have Paul in Acts chapter 19. Paul finds a group of believers. He said, what spirit did you receive when you believed? Uh, what baptism did you receive? They said the baptism of John, which was water baptism. He said the baptism of John calls for repentance, but even John spoke of one who is coming later, who is greater than him, who would baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And, and it says, as he was saying this, he laid his hands on them. We'll pick up right here. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Amen. So there is no other initial evidence of being baptized in the Holy Ghost than speaking in other tongues. People say, well, I'm not really comfortable. Pastor John, have I been baptized in the Holy Ghost even though I've never spoken in other tongues? I don't mean to say it to hurt anybody's feelings, but there's no other scriptural example of what happens when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost other than speaking in other tongues. It's the first manifestation and gift that you receive. There's several reasons why. We could preach a whole series on why it's the first gift. Uh, but just understand that fact. Speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number three, fact about tongues. Speaking in tongues is for all believers. Say all believers. All believers. Well, is it for some? No. Jesus said in Mark 16, 17 through 18, these signs will follow those who believe. Yes. Say that's me. If you're saved in this room, it's talking about you. It says, in my name, they'll cast out demons. Remember this morning, that's working of miracles. They'll speak in new tongues. Hallelujah. They'll take up serpents if they drink anything deadly. It by no means will hurt them. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. That's the gift of healing. Say, these signs will follow believers. 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 That's us. That's every person. Chapter 6, 17 through 18, let me ask you this question. Is the armor of God for some believers or is it for all believers? It's for all believers. Is righteousness for some? No, righteousness is for all. 
Turn to Ephesians 6. I'll ask you these questions here. For people that don't believe that speaking in other tongues is for everybody. Well, you know, I don't know if that's really for me. You could ask that person this series of questions here. It says, put on in verse 13, every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. After the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth. Say truth. Is the truth for some believers or all believers? Oh, truth is for everybody. It says, put on the body armor of God's righteousness. Is righteousness for some believers or all believers? For shoes, put on peace. Is peace for some or for all? No, it's for everybody. Uh, that comes from the good news, so you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith. Is faith for all believers or some? Oh, it's for all believers. In which you can quench all the fiery darts of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take up the sword of the spirit in which is the word of God. Is the Bible the word of God for some believers or all believers? Well, everybody stops there. But the very next verse, verse 18, and pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Praying in the spirit is a part of the armor of God. The armor of God is for all believers. If you say, well, I don't think that's for everybody, then you have to start dissecting and saying, well, then faith's not for everybody. And the word's not for everybody. And righteousness is not for everybody. Truth and peace are not for everybody. You cannot do that. Amen. Amen. That would be just a butchering of the scripture. Fact number four about speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a powerful gift to use in prayer. Speaking in tongues is a powerful gift or you could say tool to use in prayer. Why is speaking in tongues a powerful tool for prayer? Well, number one, it strengthens the person operating in it. It strengthens you. When you speak in tongues, it strengthens you. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 14, 4, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Jude 1, 20 says, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Spirit. Say, build up. So what happens when you pray in other tongues? You're strengthening yourself. You're building yourself up. Praise the Lord. You're fanning into flame. You're stirring yourself up. <laughs> you're, you're stirring up the gift that you received. Strength is coming to you. That's why every day believers should pray in the spirit every single day. And you'll watch strength come into your body. Life come into your body thing that you're battling struggling with you'll see the joy of the lord begin to flood and fill you and your house and your situation it strengthens the one that operates in it another fact about praying in tongues when you pray in tongues you give god high praise first corinthians 14 16 through 17 it says for if you praise god only in the spirit how can those who don't understand you praise god along with you how can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. So when you pray in the spirit, just take that little part out. You'll be giving God thanks very well. Amen. Amen. 
That's why the Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, enter into his courts with praise. I love to enter into my prayer time just praying in the spirit. What's happening when I'm praying in the spirit? My spirit's interceding through me. We're going to get to that in just a moment. And one thing that it's doing is giving God high praise. Have you ever felt that way? Like, Jesus, you are worth so much more than I have the words to articulate. I don't even know how to praise you in a, worthy that's, in a manner that's worthy of your splendor and your glory. Well, when you pray in other tongues, the Holy Ghost, who is God, is giving the Lord high praise through your mouth, through your vessel, through your being. Hallelujah. You're giving God high praise. That's why whenever we praise, when we worship, when we sing songs, you should spend time during worship lifting your hands and just praising God in the spirit. And what you're doing is you're giving God high praise. Thank you, Lord. You know, there's so many keys to this. The Bible says, let the nations praise him. Yes, praise him. And the earth shall yield its harvest. And she shall yield her increase. One thing that praise and thanksgiving does is it actually, it's the sickle that gathers in the harvest to you. You say, well, I'm a seed sower. I sow seed. I give financial seed. I give to the kingdom. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, according to the word, since I sow seed, I shall reap a harvest. But sometimes you say, well, I feel like I have a problem with the harvest, with the harvesting part. I don't have a problem with the sowing part. I seem to have a problem with the harvesting part. Well, you don't have a problem harvesting. You have a problem praising God. Because if you'll praise God, the earth will yield its harvest to you for free, the scripture declares. So another thing that's happening is when you're entering into high praise, you're, you're, the earth is yielding the harvest that's due to you. Hallelujah. So you have that confidence, man. When I'm praying in the spirit, the harvest that's due to me is coming my way right now. Hallelujah. Another fact about praying in tongues. When you pray in tongues, you are praying in unity with God's perfect will. Romans 8, 26 through 27. It says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, when we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads with, for believers in harmony with God's own will. You know, there's something powerful you have to understand the Bible says that the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. Man is in authority on the earth. We cannot just chalk everything up to God's sovereignty. He has given the earth unto man. That's why Jesus had to come in the form of a man. He couldn't redeem man from heaven. He had to come and step into that place of authority on the earth and, and, and pay that price as a man in order for man to be redeemed. And why do you think Jesus said, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven? Well, there's so many times that we're wanting certain things done and we're just wanting God to sovereignly do it, but it doesn't work that way. We have to speak. We have to bind. We have to loose. Begin to loose the blessing of God over your life. Well, if God wants to, he'll bless me. No, loose the blessing of God over your life. How do you do it? Through the words that you speak. So you have to understand that everything on the earth has to flow through man's authority. 
But the reality about it is, is sometimes we're ignorant of what we need to bind and what we need to loose. You could say, you know, there's, a, there's an attack of the enemy coming against your child, coming against your life in, in a week from now that you can't even see. The Holy Ghost is already there. He sees it. I don't even know how to pray for that. Well, I can pray in the Spirit. When I don't even know what to pray, I can pray in the Spirit. In the Spirit, who knows God's perfect sovereign will, who sees all things and knows what needs to be bound, what needs to be loosed, what needs to happen, what pieces need to move, and and it needs to come. It has to come out of your mouth in order to happen. When you start praying in the Holy Ghost, it's your mouth speaking, it's your vessel being used, it's your channel of authority on the earth, and God is able to accomplish his purposes through you it's powerful hallelujah another fact about praying in tongues and I'm going to end with this with praying in tongues tonight just a few more points here it's a powerful tool to use in prayer the last reason why it's a powerful tool to use in prayer it is the key to loosing the glory of God having been made the temple of the Holy Ghost. You know, there's several reasons why tongues was the first manifestation of the Spirit that everybody in the book of Acts received when they were baptized in the Holy Ghost. Uh, But I'll tell you one reason I believe, just one of the reasons I believe that it was. You have to understand that in the Old Covenant, the glory of God was symbolized by fire many times. The, the, the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush. The fire of that bush, it was the holy presence of God. God led the Israelites by a cloud during the day and by fire at night. Amen. The Bible talks about a cloud. You know, it was always symbolized by a cloud or by a fire. Whenever they built the temple, the cloud came and filled the holy of holies. The high priests weren't even able to accomplish their tasks. Because of the glory of the Lord. So in Acts chapter 2, it says, On the day of Pentecost, they were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. So I want you to think about this. This fire represented the Shekinah manifest presence of God that had been in the temple, that had been in the wilderness, that had been on that bush. It was the pure, tangible presence of God. They saw it fill the room, and then it settled on each person, and it disappeared on the inside of them. Symbolizing what? That now they were the temple, the holy place of the Holy Ghost. So how now do we access this presence? How do we allow the presence, the glory of God to come out and have physical, tangible manifestations of God's presence now that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost? First thing that happened is they spoke in other tongues. There's a law in the, in the Bible called the, the law of first mention. Anytime something happens for the first time, you have to examine it because God is revealing truths fundamental truths about that subject in this law first mentioned and so God was actually showing them the key to loosing the glory the Shekinah glory that was now on the inside of them so what happens when you begin to pray in tongues the glory of God fills the place which we which you dwell 
What happens when we're in this room and the believers begin to pray in the Holy Ghost? Everybody pray in the Spirit. The, the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you, the tangible glory of God begins to fill this room. Anybody that's ever studied the Azusa Street Revival, that was one thing that was the same every night. Brother Seymour, who led the revival, would come out. He would put a box on his head. And the, before he would do any miracles, the first thing that he would have everybody to do when he took that box off was, I want everybody in the room to begin to sing in the Spirit. And what happened is they began to sing in the Spirit. The glory of the Lord in the form of a physical cloud began to fill the room in which they were dwelling. Hallelujah. So when you speak in tongues, you're loosing the glory of God. Write this down. Fact number five about speaking in other tongues. In a believer's meeting, tongues should be followed by interpretation. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 through 15. Paul said, so anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret all that has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well, then what will I do? I'll pray in the spirit, but I'll also pray in words I understand. I'll sing in the spirit, but I'll also sing in words I understand. Again, Paul actually ends this chapter. 1 Corinthians 14 says, let prophecy be your highest goal, but don't forbid speaking in tongues. He's not forbidding speaking in tongues like we're doing here tonight. He's saying, what will I do then? I, can't just, I cannot just speak in tongues the whole time and still be obeying scripture. So I'll speak in tongues and then I'll speak in words of understanding. In English, I'll sing in the spirit, but then I'll sing in words of understanding. And so I wrote that, 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 that in a believer's meeting, tongues should be followed by interpretation, but not always necessarily interpretation. Tongues should be followed by words of understanding. It doesn't always have to just be interpretation. Words of understanding is actually more accurate now that I'm looking at that. So, He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 27, no more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time and someone must interpret what they say. So again, there's interpretation or words of understanding that are following. Number six, here's a fact about tongues. This will help a lot of people, maybe if you're watching online. I know a lot of people are afraid to operate in this gift because they say, I don't know what I'm saying. Well, guess what? <laughs> when you speak in tongues, you aren't supposed to know what you're saying unless you interpret the tongue. When you pray in tongues, you won't know what you're saying unless there's interpretation. So you're thinking, well, I don't want to do that. That seems odd. I don't know what I'm saying. That's how the gift works. You won't know what you're saying when you speak in tongues. Where do we get that from? 1 Corinthians 14, again, 13 through 15. It says, so anyone who speaks in tongues must also pray for the ability to interpret what is being said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. Apostle Paul said, when I speak in tongues, I don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Hallelujah. So you're not weird. You're not foreign. It's not something that you should be afraid of. That's how the gift functions.
Number seven, tongues is a sign to the unbeliever. 1 Corinthians 14, 22. So you see speaking in tongues is a sign, not for the believer, but for the unbeliever. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Again, Acts 2, 5 through 12. What's it talking about? When God... When God gave them the ability to hear their own native language, it was a sign. It was a wonder to them. It was something supernatural that was taking place that ultimately brought glory to the Lord and brought these people to salvation because it was a supernatural occurrence. That's exactly what it's talking about. I'm going to give you this last point about tongues. It is this. If you give a tongue and no interpretation comes, you must stop. Now I'm going to bring some order to how tongues, the, the, the actual operation of tongues speaking to a congregation should function. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 27 through 28. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and what? Speak in tongues to God privately. I'm about to go over the quick process of what this looks like. But basically what it looks like is this. When a tongue is given, we had a tongue given this morning in church that it was a manifestation of the Spirit. The Spirit moved on Miss Karen here. She spoke in other tongues and then followed it with an interpretation to the congregation. What should happen, though, is I'll break this down in just a moment. When somebody gives a tongue, there, there has to be an interpretation. And I'll show the process in which that happens. If there's no interpretation, then you cease. You stop and then speaking tongues to God privately, but you move on with the service. Praise God. All right, let's go over this. We just like give me five more minutes and I'm going to be done tonight. Number three, it's, this is a very simple gift to cover because there's honestly not that much in the Bible about it. This is the gift of interpretation of tongues interpretation of tongue write this down in your notes interpretation of tongues what is the gift of interpretation of tongues it's very simple it's to interpret the tongue that is spoken and not understood by man so again the gift of tongues is when the holy ghost gives you divine utterance that is not understood by the person speaking it interpretation is when god gives you revelation about that thing which was spoken that's not understood by man very simple. Someone speaks in tongues and then all of a sudden it's like the Lord speaks to you and you know exactly what they just said. This is what it means. This is what the Lord just said. It's an interpretation of what was just said. Three things you need to understand about interpretation of tongues. Number one, when you speak in tongues to the congregation, you should pray to interpret. Now I'm going to give you the process really fast of what this looks like. When you speak in tongues, say, when I speak in tongues, you, say me, should pray to interpret. 1 Corinthians 14, 13. Anyone who speaks in tongues should also pray for the ability to interpret what has been said. Go ahead and write this point down, number two, and I'll explain them together. Someone can speak in tongues and another can interpret. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it says, Well then, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will give a special revelation God's given, one will speak in tongues, and another, say another, 
will interpret another being a person different than the one that gave the tongue. will interpret what is said, but everything must be done to strengthen all of you. How does that make sense? How are you supposed to speak in tongues and then pray that God would give you the interpretation, but then another person gives the How does that make sense? Well, it's just showing you the process. If you give a tongue, the way that this should look, you stand up, you give a tongue to the congregation, you pray, everybody waits, and you pray for the interpretation. If the interpretation does not come to you who gave the tongue, then it's open to the rest of the room for somebody else to then interpret the tongue which was given. Amen. And if it's open to the rest of the room and no interpretation whatsoever is given to the tongue, then that portion ceases and you don't do tongues for that service. You speak to God and privately speaking in tongues and then you move on with the service is what this is saying. Last fact tonight for you guys, you made it. Hallelujah. When tongues is interpreted, it acts as prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.5, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish that you could prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you're saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. So what Paul's actually saying is that when that interpretation comes, it functions equally with prophecy. It is essentially, this is what the Lord says. It actually flows in the same vein as prophecy when the interpretation is given. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you guys will, stand to your feet. I'm going to dismiss you tonight. (laughs) Praise you, Jesus. Father, thank you for these awesome men and women that just sat through over an hour of teaching of me going on and on and talking really fast, Lord, that you're going to bless them because your word says that you're a rewarder of those that diligently seek after you. So I thank you, Father. We don't have to ask you or beg you for your blessing. We, your word already gives it to us as a guarantee, and we claim it by faith tonight in Jesus' name. Come on, just lift your hands to the Lord. Bless these people right now, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for increase upon their lives. Thank you, Father, that the word goes into their spirits and produces 30, 60, and 100-fold. Thank you, Father, they are marked by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is a distinction between them and the rest of the world. We give you high praise, honor, and glory for the things that you've done tonight. Father, we just ask you to continue to increase it amongst us as we manifest the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit. Father, I thank you for gifts beginning to manifest in each person in this room. I thank you, Lord, that this would be a church that flows in all the gifts of the Spirit, that functions in all the gifts of the Spirit, and not just by a person at the platform, but by the man and woman that are a part, that are members of this church, that you would begin to flow and move through them and operate. Father, I thank you for platforms in this church for people to operate in their gift and to minister to the body of Christ. We give you glory and praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise. God bless you guys. Well, hallelujah. I love you. You're dismissed. We have food in the back. See you guys Wednesday. God bless you.
Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the Word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time, this is John Wallace.